1: Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy.
0: Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com Slash Dale to support this podcast. Often before we begin practice, we cultivate motivation. Practice is difficult. Meditation will uncover places that are unpleasant to be with arrogance, cowardice, agitation, boredom, all things that we're not really that fond of looking at. So that it's really useful to have a strong motivation to carry us through those times the way we cultivate motivation is often contemplating these four mind-turning truths. And the first one is you're going to die and you don't know when. And I've been really struck that this is a contemplation that everybody is going through now. And some people are dealing with it a lot better than other people are. But this fact that you're going to die and you don't know when, there is this unknown I mean, unseen virus that's so small you can't see it without an electron microscope. So that people that have never really thought about practice and who are very busy denying death, all of a sudden there is this event going on all around the planet, actually, that is really shifting our relationship with our mortality, our ability to feel compassion, etc. So that can we begin to work with that truth? You're going to die, but you don't know when. Not as something that is pulling us into anxiety and fear, but something that is inspiring us to begin to practice more and more, to be a warrior for peace and compassion and stability when we're in environments where very few other people are in that state of mind. When you go to the grocery store, even if you're just at home, To the extent that you or I can take this truth, you're going to die, but you don't know when, as a motivation for dropping down, being more centered, being more grounded, being more compassionate, we're doing a lot for all sentient beings. And what I'm suggesting is if you're ever beginning to feel agitation or anxiety about COVID 19, can that be? the inspiration, the motivation to start uh, becoming centered, to be grounded, to take uh, a 30-second meditation break or whatever it might happen to be. That This notion, you're going to die, but you don't know when, intellectually, very interesting, but as a contemplation, as a contemplation that begins to change our behavior, that it's something that's there that we're Thinking about it when we wake up in the middle of the night, we, we we take it inside, We we contemplate it. The second mind-turning truth is that life is precious. That one pretty much follows from the first one. If you don't know how long you're going to be alive, how precious is it then to have this time together, to have your own life for as long as it lasts? The third and fourth ones are there is suffering, that when we act with grasping, suffering arises. And the fourth one is that there's karma, which you do think or say has an effect. So any of these four can be taken as a contemplation. And I think that our present situation with the virus and uh, not knowing how widespread it is, not even knowing if we're infected ourselves yet, is a profoundly wonderful opportunity to inspire deeper practice. Yeah, if you want to... Binge watch Netflix, if you want to do things to not be with agitation for a while, that's completely fine. But occasionally, at least, to use the immediacy, the intensity of what's going on now, as a way of deepening practice. A few words about fear. I've worked with dying people for really, really decades now uh, 35 years plus. With very few exceptions, the most beautiful Americans I've ever Met, our people who are almost dead because they are going beyond their feelings of I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm this way, I'm that way. That it's the fact that they're approaching death essentializes life. Do we have to wait though until uh, we get a diagnosis or until something is going on? Is it possible that just the fact that we are going to die and we know we're going to die can that? open us to the depth of our heart what is it that causes us to be pulling back all fear is fear of death fear of being lonely fear of uh, getting sick they're all based in there's a part of me that's afraid of something out there and that that basic separation of there's me and there's something out there to be afraid of is fear of death can we begin to notice that desire to run away from being present because in the present there is this fact that we're dying. We're going to die. We don't know when it's going to be. Can we begin to notice when our actions are based in trying to run away from being present versus when our actions are based in I'm spacious, I'm present, here's what is coming out of that that state of mind. So there's this, this ongoing tension between the fixated stance of the ego structure and the groundless nature of being. And and groundless in this particular case can even be translated into we don't know when we're going to die. There's 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 not this solidness that we can hold on to anymore. That each moment is dying into the next moment. And that for almost all of us there is an addiction to fear. Holding on to fear and having fearful thoughts is in some way preferable to surrendering into it and falling into the abyss of the unknown, the abyss of uncertainty. Franklin Roosevelt famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I would suggest that's completely wrong. That in fact, this is such a wonderful opportunity because for all of us, I'm pretty sure it's uncovering some fear. And we don't have to be afraid of the fear. We can begin to be aware of it. Fear is really the deepest of all emotions. Fear is that place where we're caught in the delusion of separateness. We're not really separate. So that there's this great opportunity to go beyond separateness, to begin to inhabit the place where we don't die, the place where there is one consciousness. There is this back and forth between how much faith do you have in practice, how much faith do you have in God, faith do you have in your true nature, versus those times when we're overwhelmed by fear, when we get caught in in the separateness. What do we have faith in? Can we have strong faith even during these very uncertain times? It's a question for all of us. So when that, when, when that fear arises about the chaos, the people not being kind to each other, in that moment, is it possible then to realize I'm feeling ungrounded? I can take a few grounding breaths. I can I can drop down into my base. That using anxiety as the motivating force to do practice, we don't know what's going to happen next. There's really no way of knowing. And if we extrapolate and what happened in Italy is going to happen here, it's going to be really, really a mess. Maybe all the Social isolation will, will slow things down, flatten the curve. The hospitals won't be overwhelmed, but we don't know what's going to happen. So again and again, there is meeting this fear of uncertainty, which is fear of the unknown is very much like fear of death. I mean, they're so intimately connected. There is a real difference between anxiety and uncertainty. In other words, can you be aware of uncertainty that I don't know what's going to happen I'm resting in this spaciousness, it could go this way, it could go that way, some ways would be much more difficult than others, but does that necessarily need to lead to anxiety? Is it possible to be with deep uncertainty, which in fact we're living with all the time, even though we have some illusion that we're in control of things and we can keep things balanced, we really can't, but now uh, in a way, the veil's been ripped open and our lack of control has been revealed. Beginning to have compassion for the place we get caught in being afraid of uncertainty and working with being present for uncertainty. What does it feel like to be uncertain? Letting go of the story. I'm not. It's not uncertainty about what's going to happen to my friends or about my body or about my food supply or whatever. It's just here's what uncertainty feels like. And can I have compassion for what this feels like? Can I open my heart to not knowing what's going to happen next? It's very challenging. We've gotten used to living with a background level of uncertainty. But all of a sudden now, because of the present circumstance, the background level has gone up a couple of octaves, right? So the, the, the background uncertainty is a lot louder than, than it usually is for a lot of people that can be very uncentering, ungrounding, very disturbing. And it can be the impetus to say, okay, this is my opportunity to really deepen my practice. This is my opportunity to be with this part of myself that hasn't been clearly enough in focus that I've been able to ignore it all in my life. But now if I do that, there might be a lot of trouble. How can I be with This level of uncertainty? How can I be with anxiety and open to it? Carl Jung said the psychological rule is that when an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. The psychological rule is that when an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. So let's say the inner situation is being anxious, if we're not conscious, it, he's, he's using psychological language rather than meditative language. If we're not aware of our anxiety, it's going to happen outside as fate. It's going to have to get loud enough that we eventually have to pay attention to it. Mm. So he also said, it's kind of the same quote, but it's from a different perspective. The shadow becomes hostile only when it is ignored. Mm. So the shadow are these emotions that we we deny, we kind of carry around in a big sack over our back. As long as we're not being conscious of our shadow, then eventually it's going to become hostile. And if things get worse, there are going to be people around us that are be, going to be beginning to have a really hard time. Let's not be one of those people, and let's even beyond that be somebody that is strong, is Present is compassionate, so that those other people have somebody to lean on to uh, say, "There's a role model. How I can be present even for this particular kind of circumstance?" Probably notice that sometimes you're in a room at the hospital with people who are dying, and that a bunch of people are caught. Oh my God! This suffering is horrible. And then some of the medical personnel are just pushing it away and not really feeling it. And if it just takes one person to be in the room who is really present and compassionate, that makes a difference for the whole circumstance. But if, yeah. I, if everybody's caught in either pushing it away or getting lost in it, then there's no stable center post that the situation can coalesce around. This conversation can be extrapolated to doing it for ourselves. If we can name and be with, here's what it feels like, it takes it out into the open. As long as we're not meeting it intimately and directly, then emotions have a power over us. But when we can really be with them, make conscious that which was previously unconscious, and then begin to bring the light of compassion the spaciousness of compassion to that situation, then healing for our own self can proceed. Ignoring our anger, we're just letting it happen unconsciously all the time, or if we're ignoring our loneliness, we're not really being conscious of the shadow material. It's going to become hostile. It's going to become a problem for us. Every time we have an unconscious emotion, it strengthens... A conditioned response. And it makes it harder to get out of the conditioning. And every time we have a uh, difficult emotion, we're aware of it, we're not caught in it, it's creating a new neural pathway that makes it a little bit easier next time not to get caught in it. I've used the metaphor before that I imagine it's like there's a groove in my brain, there's a physical groove, right? Let's say the groove about anger about people driving poorly in traffic, right? And every time I become unconsciously angry when somebody does something, it deepens that groove and it makes it harder not to get angry the next time somebody cuts me off. But every time I become aware of it, I'm not ignoring the shadow. Then I'm creating a neural pathway. It's like God is dripping some nectar into that groove, whereas if I'm not aware of it, it's like the groove is getting deeper. So Bob Dylan asked this provocative question, what price do we have to pay to get out of going through all these things twice? Or what price do we have to pay to get out of going through all these things 2,000 times? (laughs) You know, just depending on how how deep the groove is. So I guess what we're saying here is that it's as simple as if you're acting unconsciously, the shadow is going to get more and more hostile. And as you're acting consciously, it's creating a relationship with that part of yourself that's been ignored, that's been denied, and healing is beginning to happen. Are you really aware that keeping your eye out for the negative, for the, uh, for the negative will actually, it is creating suffering moment to moment? And then can you have compassion for how you're doing that? So in other words, To have compassion for something, you've got to be aware of the suffering in the first place. If it's compassion for another person, it's compassion for yourself. You can't have compassion for yourself or another person until you're aware of, until you can actually feel what it's like to be experiencing that. And if you're willing to do that, then can you take the next step and let the heart be spacious? So, for instance, here's a practice we haven't talked about for really, really a long time. It's called compassionate abiding. It's a practice that takes one breath. It's one breath long. Basically, if you notice that you're, you're caught in something and you'd like to open your heart to it, you locate how you're holding it in your body and you breathe in awareness to that part of your body. And as you breathe out, you breathe out spaciousness and softness. You breathe in awareness to that place you breathe out softness. Now, it's called compassion and abiding, and you notice I never mentioned compassion. But somatically, softening in the body is the equivalent of compassion in the mind. So that you're you're holding some tension. You're holding tension in your shoulders or in your face or in your belly. And you just notice, I'm feeling, I'm caught in suffering now. I, I I'm caught. Can I breathe into that? What does this actually feel like? And an the out breath, feel softness. And I remember this thing that happened to me a few years ago where I, it was the summer. I'm living here in the suburbs, out in, almost in the country. And I had a really busy morning in my office. There was a lot of phone calls. People are dying, a lot of emails. Uh, I decide I'm going to drive into town, get my mail at the post office. So I, I parked my car in the post office, And I'm walking from my car to the post office. It's maybe a 20 second walk, 30 second walk. And as I'm walking, I can feel that I'm still at my desk. There's all those emails, there's all those text messages. There's tension in my shoulders. So I said, okay, compassionate abiding. I breathed in awareness to what it felt like in my shoulders. I breathed out softness into my shoulders. And all of a sudden, I could feel the summer sun on my head and on my face. I could feel my feet on the ground, my heart open, just one breath. It just took being willing to admit what it felt, felt like and breathing compassion into, breathing softness into what it felt like. First two steps of the tantric three-step, breathing in awareness, breathing out compassion into the body. If there's a place where you've noticed that habitually you're caught You can begin to do Tonglen for that place. It's a difficult practice because we've been often trying to avoid that place for a long time. But if you can really identify a place where again and again, you're judgmental or you're frightened or you're angry or whatever it is, really identify that place and then do Tonglen. Imagine that angry, frightened, judgmental, whatever it is, part of yourself in front of yourself and begin to do taking and sending beginning to be willing to have compassion and loving kindness for that part of yourself. The final thing I'll say is that, once again, the compassionate heart has those three qualities, spaciousness, warmth, and connectedness. And you can pick any of those three and do that as a practice. What does it feel like to have a connected heart? So suppose you're feeling lack of compassion for another person, or for a part of yourself, what would it feel like to begin to connect with that other person or that part of yourself? Or what would it feel like to be with that other person and have a spacious heart, to not have a contracted heart? What would it feel like to be spacious or warm? Just pick one of those three and begin to work with it. What would it be like to imagine the part of you that's afraid of what might be coming, the uncertainty of, of the future here during this time of the coronavirus. What would, what would it feel like to have that part of you in front of you and feel that suffering so directly that you feel compassion for her and as you breathe in, be willing to take that suffering into meditating you because you want her to be free of that. And then as you're breathing out, sending the antidote, strength or courage or whatever it is, with loving kindness as you breathe out. So is everybody ready to meditate? I think one nice thing about self-isolating is that finally you can touch your face again. (laughs) (laughs) Please begin by examining what it means to you to look at the truth, you're gonna die, but you don't know when. When you think about that, does fear arise? Does it turn your mind to want to go beyond that fear, to heal the fear? Can we even let go of the assumption that that time is completely uncertain, not just that we don't know when, but it could be any time. It could be sooner rather than later, bring it into the moment that we're becoming more and more willing to die into the next moment we're more and more willing to as we breathe out breathe out into our life letting go of any grasping any clinging can you begin to pay particular attention to that moment at the very end of the out breath who is there at that point to the end of the out-breath. The end of the letting go. Dissolving into the letting go. And with this motivation, this dying into the present, can we begin to invoke that which gives us faith to surrender in this way? Our own true self, which is beyond death, the Mother, the Christ, the higher power, the one presence? What is it that gives us the faith to deepen this surrender into the uncertainty of the next moment? Can we receive the blessing? Can we receive the gift that is always available? So in each moment, there is some balance between faith that allows us to go beyond fear and at times the mind, the character structure wants to know, overwhelms the faith. Can we begin to be very clearly aware of what it feels like to be resting in faith or acting from fear. Sometimes this distinction is very, very subtle. The fear that's revealed is a very quiet fear, but yet very deep. letting this invocation, letting our trust deepen and deepen. And as this sense of clarity, of being present deepens, it becomes a foundation for opening the heart. Can we have compassion for those moments in which that subtle fear arises? Compassion truly being born in that simple moment we notice we've been lost for a few seconds or longer. In that moment, can we come back to being present with great kindness toward ourselves, with mercy? Mercy for that place that has dragged us around so, so many times during our lives. becoming intimate with a rising experience as this experience arises and floats in the vastness of the heart-mind, resting in the spaciousness Compassion for experience doesn't necessarily mean being sweet or nice, but allowing anything to arise and remaining spacious, boundless. Even empty of the concept that I am compassionate, I am meditating, coming back again and again to the spaciousness that is our nature. Realizing that this spaciousness is truly vast enough that all the suffering of all the sentient beings in the world, all the people who are afraid of uncertainty or what might happen due to COVID-19 or any other circumstance in their life, we can open to all of that with compassion and never be filled up. That the suffering doesn't begin to touch the boundaryless nature of the heart. And in the spacious in this spaciousness, we are connected. We are connected to our own selves, to any place in ourselves where suffering might arise. We're connected to all other beings without the need to separate or push away. And we're connected to that which is the source of love, pure consciousness. experience arising and floating freely in this vast, sky-like heart, that which we invoke no different from our own true self, at one and the same time, realizing the vastness of human suffering and the perfection of the unfolding of consciousness. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Finding that razor-sharp balance between being open in a very tender yet fierce way to the suffering of the sentient beings we come in contact with, and yet realizing this is all contextualized in the vast perfection that is, in fact, the nature of our minds and of our hearts. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings realize the intrinsically free and pure nature of their minds. May all beings find a joy that transcends happiness and sadness.